How's everyone doing? Great. Well, like Brian said, my name is Kristen Diebel. I'm part of the ministry leadership team here at Novation, and it's just my privilege to worship with you today and uh, to bring the teaching. So we have been in a series called uh, Let There Be Light. For the last four weeks, we have been looking at the conflict between light and darkness, between good and evil. And we've been every week asking a question. We've asked, why is there darkness? Who is in charge? Who is Satan? Who are the angels? And today we're going to ask, how do we fight a battle when the war has been won? How do we deal with sin, our continual battle with sin? And one thing that's been a common thread throughout every single week's message is we celebrate the victory of Jesus in every single area. And we're just going to continue with that this morning. Uh, Before we dive in, will you just take a minute and pray with me? Jesus, you are victorious, and we as a church body are just gathered here to worship you, to glorify your name, to grow in our understanding of who you are, of what you've done, of who you've called us to be, and what it is you have set us free from. We love you. We honor you with our lives. Our desire is to know you more and more. So this morning, Jesus, as we look at this subject of sin that can be uncomfortable, that can be difficult, I just pray for your spirit to minister to each one of us. For those of us who need conviction, bring conviction. For those of us who need encouragement, bring encouragement. For those of us who need to be reminded of who we are in you, remind us. Let me get out of the way and you do the work that you want to do in each of us today. In your name, amen. Well, before this series, we were in a series where we worked our way through the book of Acts. It was a really cool series where we just were studying the early church. And in one of those messages, Scott taught us about um, Saul's conversion. This is out of Acts chapter 9. And Saul was a Jewish Pharisee. He was followed all the Jewish laws, and he was just this zealous, harsh man who was actually persecuting Christians. He was going all around. He was arresting them. He was um, having them stoned. He was overseeing their murders. This man was was zealous for um, the Jewish law, and he thought he was doing God a favor by trying to wipe out new Christians. So Paul was then converted on the road to Damascus. In chapter 9 of Acts, we read about his conversion. This man who was was really persecuting the early church, God actually knocked him off his horse, blinded him for several days and said, hey, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had a radical life change, a drastic life change. And God ended up using Paul in just mighty ways to take the gospel to the known church and um, to just have an incredible impact. We still are impacted by Paul's life today. He wrote most of what we know as the New Testament. And yet, even with this drastic conversion, Paul understood this battle with sin. I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 7. These are the words that Paul wrote. This is verse 15 to 25. I'm a mystery to myself, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. 
And now I realize that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God, but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin. This unwelcome intruder in my humanity, what an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin, but now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. I can really relate to that. You know, when I became a Christian, I did grow up in a Christian home. I always believed the gospel. But when I was 16 years old, I encountered Jesus for myself. And um, really, that's what began my personal relationship with Jesus. When I really took ownership of my faith, not as just something that I believed because my parents told me it was true, but something I believed because I had experienced the transforming power of Jesus. Before I met Jesus personally at 16 years old, I had a really, really contentious relationship with my parents. Not just one-off fights here and there, ugly, hateful, constant conflict with my parents. I can remember screaming just such disrespectful, hurtful, hateful things at them. And when I became a Christian for, for myself, really, it was like a light had flipped in my mind. Like my relationship with my parents was changed almost overnight. My parents will tell you it was unbelievable. It was night and day. And sometimes God gives us victories like that. We, we come to know Jesus and he sets us free from areas of sin, from, from patterns of behavior that have been damaging and hurtful to us. But what is also true about me is from the time I was a little girl, I can remember having a really intense need for the approval of other people. And that really, the root of that is pride in me. And out of that flows deception. Out of that flows selfish ambition. And you know what? I would be lying if I stood here before you and told you that I don't battle that every single day. I still battle that. And I've been walking with Jesus for 25 years. And that is an area in my heart where I know that sin sometimes gets the upper hand. I think you can probably relate to this in your own life as well. So what do we do as people who are following Jesus, knowing that he has won our ultimate victory over sin, and yet we still struggle. We still have these, these battles in our daily lives. What do we do? Well, first of all, I think we need to understand some theology. We need to start with some theological building blocks. And the first thing that I want us to talk about is justification, the principle of justification. 
Justification is a one-time act of God in which God declares a person to be positionally righteous. This has nothing to do with us. This isn't something we earn. It's not something we do. It is an act of God that when we come into agreement and we acknowledge Jesus for who he is, that he is Lord of Lords, that he is King of Kings, that what he accomplished on the cross, he defeated our enemies of death, of Satan, of sin. When we acknowledge that and come into agreement with him about that, this justification is complete and instantaneous. Romans 3, 21 through 24 describes this. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So that's the first building block we need to understand is justification. But we also need to understand the theological principle of sanctification. Now, sanctification is the ongoing process of being conformed to the image of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is when we become practically what we already are positionally. And that's an ongoing work in our lives and in our hearts. When my little son, Owen, he's nine years old now, and this was probably like at least five years ago, but he had gotten disciplined for something and we were working through our you know, discipline process. And as we finished um, you know, praying and talking about what happened and kind of restoring, he said, Mama, how come Jesus can't just make sin not a thing? And it was so cute. And I was like, well, the good news is, buddy, Jesus has cut the head off of sin. Sin doesn't actually have power over us anymore. And one day he is coming back to right every wrong. One day we are not even going to have the ability to sin. Isn't that going to be amazing? And he's like, yeah, I can't wait for that. I'm like, I know, me too, buddy, me too. But in the meantime, we're living in the in-between. We're living in the already, but not yet reality that Jesus has already come. He's already lived and died and come back to life and gone to heaven. We've already experienced his victory, but we're waiting for the culmination of that. We're waiting for the day when everything is set right. And so as we live in that in-between, sanctification is God's tool to help us become holy. Every opportunity for sin is actually an opportunity to grow in sanctification. So that's the first thing that we need to understand is just the theology, those two words, justification and sanctification. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about the battlefields that we experience. I think if we are going to effectively deal with sin, we have to understand where sin tries to sneak in and sink its talons into us. And I see three major battlefields in our own lives where this can happen. And the first one is the battlefield of the mind. The way that we think, our thought process, the way that we experience our emotions, and then the story that we tell ourselves about that emotion or that relationship or that situation, our thought process is where this first battle might take place for us. So what do we do? Well, I think there's a couple things. We can recognize when we're falling back into old ways of thinking. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, 
It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. This starts in our mind. Prepare your minds for action. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will one day come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. It starts by us recognizing when we slip back into those old ways of thinking that lead to old ways of living. And then what we need to do is we need to actually take captive our thoughts. Sometimes it's easy to feel like, well, I'm just kind of at the mercy of my thoughts. I can't help it. I didn't mean to have that lustful thought or that selfish thought. It just happened to me. No, that's not what scripture tells us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul writes, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow down in obedience to the anointed one. We have control over our thoughts. When we recognize old patterns of thinking, when we recognize sinful thoughts that don't align with who Jesus is, we stop and we take them captive and we turn them around and we preach the gospel to ourselves and change our thinking. This is how we renew our minds. In Romans 12 too, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the reason this is so important is because what we live out begins with our thoughts. What eventually results in action, in our relationships, in our work, in our school, in every area of our life, it begins with our thoughts. And that leads us to the second battlefield. The second battlefield is the battlefield of the flesh. And when I say the flesh, I am referring to the ways in which sinful thoughts lead into sinful action, into sinful ways of engaging the world, ways that have not been submitted to Jesus and to the gospel, but are the result of our own natural inclinations towards sin. Listen to Romans 8, 5 through 8. Paul is writing this. Listen to what he says. Those who live according to the flesh, have their minds, see that relationship between our thoughts and our actions, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind is governed by the, fle by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I find it really helpful in my own life to try to get under the sin. Sin is appealing for a reason. If sin wasn't attractive to us, we wouldn't struggle with it, right? So when I am struggling with some temptation, it is very helpful to try to question what is underneath that? Because here's the truth. God has given us desires, and our desires, when they are under his authority, are good. And they lead to us finding our satisfaction in him. And the trick of sin is that sin tries to tell us, we, I can shortcut that. 
Let me help you feed that desire and satisfy that desire outside of God. And when we give into that, every single time we are disappointed, we are broken, our relationships suffer, our character is corroded, but obviously it's appealing to us. If it wasn't, we wouldn't struggle. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. This was from a, a sermon that he preached. It says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Some of the reason that we struggle with sin is because we are far too easily pleased. Instead, instead of walking in the desires of the flesh and allowing that, allowing sin to win the battle in that area of our flesh, let's instead walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you don't want to walk in the desires of the flesh, the answer is to walk in the spirit. But how do we do that? What does that mean? Well, I think that leads us to our third battlefield, which is the will. If you want to walk in the spirit, align your will with the will of God. It is our natural inclination to want autonomy, to want independence, to want to call the shots in our own life. My daughter, Audrey, she's 16 years old now, but when she was like, she was a really early talker, so she was probably only a year and a half, and everything that happened, if she wanted juice, she wanted to get a toy out, whatever, whatever it was she was doing, Audrey, do it self. That's what she said all the time. Audrey, do it self. And that's, that's cute when you're a toddler, but it's not so cute when you're an adult, right? Yet that's what we do to God. We're like, I want to do it myself. I want to call my own shots. I want to do it my own way. If you want to walk in the spirit, align your will with God's. Submit to his authority. Obey him. Study the scriptures and find out what he says to do and then do it. Even if you don't want to, even if it's difficult, align your will with God's will. We're called to this. Ephesians 5, 8 and 10 says, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Let's find out what pleases the Lord. When I was a pretty new Christian, I memorized Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And it's a principle for us to live by. And this principle says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That's how we align our will with his. We find out what pleases the Lord, we seek his will in all we do, and then we obey. We walk in obedience. All right, we've talked about the theology. We've talked about the three battlefield areas. Now we need to talk about strategy. So how do we do this practically? This all sounds great. But how do we practically find freedom in our daily battle with sin? I want to give you three strategies that I see as tools for us to use. Now, 
I feel like this is not super fun. Like, who wants to talk about dealing with sin? I don't. Even as I've been preparing this week, I've been like, man, sin really does. That it, when I recognize the ways in which sin affects my relationships, my parenting, my work, there's something of, it's just kind of like, ugh, it doesn't feel good. So I just want you to know, like, I know we're pressing into some of that. I know that there might be some conviction that's happening. I want you to just remember that conviction is a gift from God. Conviction is not the same as condemnation. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. But if you sense conviction, don't shut yourself off. Let's like press into what God wants to call us to this morning. Okay, the first strategy that we have for dealing with sin is confession. We have to confess our sin. Now, I would much rather just move on, right? Like, just, let's just keep going and do better next time. But that's actually not what we're called to do. We are called to confess not only to God, but also to one another. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Do you have a habit of confession in your life, in your prayer life? Do you make it a daily habit to talk with God about the areas where sin had the upper hand in a battle that you encountered that day? I think oftentimes the answer is no, we don't make a habit of confession. If you want to break through in areas where you're struggling with sin, start here. Make confession a daily habit, and not just in your prayers with God, but also to other people. In James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So we need to confess vertically and we need to confess horizontally. Not to everybody. Not everybody is owed your, your confession, but I hope that you have just one or two people in your life that you are able to be really honest with and say, hey, I'm struggling here. I need prayer here. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. The second strategy that we have to combat sin is crucify your sin. We need to crucify our sin. I want you to listen to these. There's two sections of scripture. Paul is writing both of these. One's out of Romans, one's out of Galatians. Two different groups of people. But he's saying the same thing, and he is using some very strong language. Listen to what Paul says. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And then again, listen to this language out of Galatians. He's saying the same thing, just a little differently. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part 
of our lives. That is strong language. We are to nail our sinful desires and passions to the cross. We're not called to coddle sin. We're not called to flirt with sin. We're called to crucify it, to kill it. When I was younger, before I got married, I desperately wanted to be married. I desperately wanted a relationship that would complete me. And I would read these romantic comedy books and watch these romantic comedy movies. And this desire for this relationship, it had become sin in my heart. It had become adulterous. I was idolizing if I could just have this perfect relationship. Like that would, that would be what I, I would be happy. I would be satisfied. And I was convicted. I could no longer read the romantic comedies. Not because in and of themselves there's anything wrong with romantic comedies. I mean, I love some romantic comedies, but there comes a time where we have to close the door on sin. If you're struggling with pornography, do you have protection on your phones, on your devices? Does somebody else know you're struggling? Or do you, do you in the dark commit yourself? Oh, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna do that again. But then what happens the next time? The same thing happens again because we're not crucifying our sin. Don't coddle it. Don't flirt with it. Let's commit this morning, whatever it is you're struggling with, crucify your sin if you want to find freedom from it. And then thirdly, our third strategy that we have to deal with sin in our everyday lives is to live in community. To live in community. We were created in the image of God. We reflect a God that is in constant relationship. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in constant, perfect unity and relationship, and we were created to reflect that image. We also were created to live in community. It's a part of who we are. We need each other. We can't actually find freedom and success in battles against sin by ourselves. We really need one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, sometimes I'm both people. Sometimes I am the believer that has been overcome by some sin. And sometimes I'm the believer who gently and humbly helps somebody else back onto the right path. But we can't do that by ourselves. We need to be in community with one another. At Novation, we provide a lot of different opportunities for people to live in community. It's one of our core values. And one of the ways that we offer community is through core groups. Now, core groups are kind of an organic, small group of either men or women that ag agree to meet together and to be accountable for each other, to dig in to some of the hard stuff. And I'm in a core group. And for a season, when me and my core group would meet, every single week, we would ask each other, where did sin have the upper hand this week? Where did you struggle with sin? Who wants to be in my core group? Anyone? <laughs> right? But you know what? It was so good. It was so good to have that regular rhythm of confessing to one another, of praying for one another, of lifting each other up, because we're called to it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you were already doing. We need one another. We have these strategies that we can put into place in our life. We can confess our sin, crucify our sin, and live in community. But ultimately, behavior modification, it's never going to work. 
We can only modify our own behavior so far. We don't just need more discipline or more willpower. We need to realize the victory that we have in Jesus. And that's really where we're going where we're going to end today is just recognizing and glorifying Jesus because of what he did. In John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus is speaking and he says, "Listen, the thief comes to st- steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to you in abundance." God's desire for you is to walk in freedom, to walk in the abundant life that he offers. And we end up playing with mud pies instead of enjoying the holiday at sea that he offers to us. Let's break free of that this morning. If you are a believer, Jesus says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. You are no longer identified by your sin or by your struggle. That's not who you are. You are a new creation in Jesus. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So how I want to end today, the worship team is going to lead us in another song. And I would like to ask our ministry leaders, home group leaders, prayer team, Would you make yourselves available? Not necessarily up front, just wherever you want in the room. Let's not leave this morning without taking the opportunity that we have to join together in prayer with another believer. Grab your your sister, grab your friend, whoever you came with today, or find your home group leader, find a ministry leader. We want to pray for you. We want you to leave here walking in the freedom that was purchased for you on the cross. Sin does not have the final say. You do not have to be stuck in enslaved to sin, enslaved in patterns of behavior and habits that are detrimental to you, to your relationships, to your family, to your community. Let's be free of that. Let's celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and head back into worship. Um, please take this opportunity to get prayer if you need it, to worship God, to just pour your heart out, heart out to him. I'm going to pray and we're going to head into worship. Jesus, you are so, so good. Your victory is what I'm putting all my hope in. I know in and of myself, I cannot combat sin on my own. But you, what you have done and the freedom that you give is ultimate freedom and it can never be taken away. So this morning, Jesus, as we finish in worship, I just ask that you would move in each of our hearts, that we would pour out to you the areas where we need freedom, the areas in our life where we need hope and encouragement. Thank you for this community, this church community that allows us to be honest and real, this place where we can come, not because we've got it all together, but because we're following the perfect Savior who does. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and just worship one more time. And like she said, if you'd like prayer.
Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling No, oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. And bring your sorrows and trade them joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Lord oh, come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ, oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. No word a Savior, isn't he
Well, everyone, thank you for coming today. Thank you for worshiping with us. I hope that you go walking in the freedom that we have in Jesus. If you're going to the Rockies game, enjoy, and we'll see you all next week.